0: You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is the Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margretta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is big tech in meltdown, Twitter, Facebook, and FTX, and why returning focus to the economy of real values matters. Margretta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful
1: to be here. Good morning, Mankaren.
0: All right, let's get started this morning, Margareta. Twitter and Facebook are household names. FTX, not as much, but there has been some big news there in the last 24 hours. Tell us more.
1: Well, yesterday, uh, Meta, the company behind Facebook, announced that it was laying off 11,000 workers worldwide, or about 13% of its workforce. Uh, Twitter, which was recently acquired by Elon Musk, the world's richest man, also announced sweeping layoffs last week. And I'm sure many of us would attribute the challenges of Twitter to a very bumpy takeover and Elon shifting his focus rather unevenly and publicly, I would say, uh, to the management of this tech giant. Uh, a looming recession may actually have more to do with all the things we're seeing than really anything else. Investors are getting the signal that a slowdown is coming, uh, advertisers are even pulling out for a variety of reasons. And uh, tech is, of course, a risky sector. It's reliant on speculative innovation, major leaps forward, which you can only do when the times are good, uh, and discretionary spending by consumers, uh, which advertisers rely on. Um, So, of course, it's going to be seeing the hit sooner than many others. Uh, of course, you mentioned FTX, uh, so I should probably explain what that is. It's a leading cryptocurrency exchange based in the U.S. And uh, in recent months, with the slowdown in crypto values, Bitcoin, Ethereum have all been affected. Uh, many other coins have uh, practically uh, disappeared. Uh, the founder of this exchange, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, went from having an net worth somewhere in the range of $16 billion to, as of yesterday, under a billion. And yesterday, despite a, another competing exchange, Binance, uh, having said that it would plan to acquire FTX, uh, it was tottering close to the verge of collapse. Uh, this morning's news positioned was a little bit worse, uh, suggesting that the whole exchange might actually fold, going bankrupt. Uh, and that would affect not only the value of all cryptocurrencies, even the more established ones that I mentioned, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, but also it would massively deprive the investors who put their value into FTX. Uh, so that's really bad news, generally, from the world of tech.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you get the sense that investments in these companies will recover?
1: Well, I'm not a, an economist or a financial advisor, so I certainly wouldn't suggest anyone take my advice uh, into account when uh, making investment decisions. But, of course, I'm a retail investor myself, and I hope so. The health of the tech sector is essentially a proxy for the overall state of the economy. And whether or not the uh, companies in question recover substantially in the short term Uh, that is a little bit beyond the point because we need to get thinking as Canadians about the things that are genuinely needed to keep the economy running. Uh, You know, many of us uh, are employed by software companies and uh, tech is generally quite valuable. I'm a clean tech myself, so, you know, ensuring there's uh, money keeping uh, the markets uh, going is is quite key. But um, we are also a producer uh, nationally of many of the core tangible things, the commodities the world needs. And that's oil and gas. That powers the world. It's the roads that enables chemical manufacturing for things like plastics and pharmaceuticals. Uh, That's mining, a key commodity in building materials, all electronics. And increasingly, our global net zero transformation shift to things like electric vehicles. Uh, And that's also forestry. Uh, It's not only a useful provider of products used at home um, and in building homes, but also increasingly a source of sustainable biomass for uh, things like energy and uh, replacing plastics. Um, But we are global leaders in all of the above. And some of the world's largest proven reserves of oil, natural gas, several key minerals and metals can be found uh, within our borders. So that's British Columbia, uh, Ontario, Quebec, northern Canada. Um, That's a really enviable place to be, particularly with a pretty small population. And uh, the geographic proximity we have to the world's largest economy, the United States. Uh, But there is a massive paradigm shift currently at play. Uh, You know, as we speak, uh, the BRICS organization that's uh, comprised uh, principally of Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, they're rapidly expanding, taking many, many more developing nations under their wing. And just those core members today represent about a quarter of global GDP, in nominal terms, and 40% of the world's population. So once you add uh, their new members, including, you know, as of this morning, Algeria, just joining, um, those numbers rapidly increase. Uh, What this tells me is that the United States' allies can't take for granted that the U.S dominance that uh, guarantees our high quality of life is going to exist in perpetuity, or in fact that it can be maintained without being strategic and quick on our feet collectively. Um, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this in the context of global conflict. Uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation has been a you know, good wake-up call and reminder. There was global consensus on this conflict. Uh, but that can, consensus is really only meaningful when we have the trade relationships. the mutual interdependence, the willingness to collaborate across oceans to back it up. And uh, this non-U.S. bloc, to call it what it is, is going to rapidly outpace us in this respect, uh, just based on the ties and relationships that they're building. And that is good news, very likely, for the prosperity and mm, principally economic power of the developing world. Um, but many would argue, and I certainly agree, that multipolarity is a risk to things like a uh, clear consensus on human rights, on how we maintain and uphold democracy and the rule of law. Um, I mean, in contrast, of course, uh, a major uh, constituent of, of BRICS, India is the world's largest democracy. Um, but it's clear that the, the involvement of uh, countries like Russia and China and the increasingly polarized, almost conflicted nature of their relationships with uh, the Western world uh, point to some tripling breakdowns in this space. Um, and I would say that the rules-based international order uh, you know, that's what the U.S. and its allies uh, like Canada like to call themselves the, the key proponents of. Um, it's only as good as the economic and material power um, of the company, the countries that uh, pushed it forward. And Canada's role essentially is to provide resources and innovation excellence to this. Uh, you know, sadly, there's a lot we can, we can offer to ourselves, to Canadians, to the world. But uh, when it comes to being there for our allies, there's not much more we can offer than um, what we can export and the innovation that uh, we can provide to enable resource commodities to be responsibly produced. Uh, you know, we're certainly not a ready-made labor force for exports. In fact, we can barely meet our own needs, so there's have massive, massive uh, immigration uh, quotas to match that, uh, nor are we especially a diplomatic heavyweight in our own right. Uh, but if we get this part down, the exporting of responsibly, sustainably produced commodities, we will be able to weather the coming storms, whether that's the partial collapse of big tech, uh, might get worse, might get better, we'll see, uh, a looming recession uh, for many, many years, climate change escalating and having greater, costlier impacts around the world, or more importantly, the geopolitical reorientation that's coming over the next few decades. Uh, I think those are all things we should be worried about, and all things that we have the means to address if we really hunker down and think about it.
0: Now, another topic, Margaretta. COP27 is now happening in Egypt. Are there specific stories you're expecting to hear more about?
1: Yeah, personally, I'm pretty jazzed about the focus on Canadian innovation. Actually, a friend of mine, Jason Aknamis from Lucent Biosciences, is speaking of COP, and it's not even his first time. Um, He's sharing uh, information about the decarbonization potential of an innovative new fertilizer product that his company has developed. And uh, this product Uh, which is really relying on the latest advances in biogeochemistry. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, Improves crop yield, it reduces emissions, and ultimately it strengthens the return on investment for farmers. And they're manufacturing this product right now in Saskatchewan. I'm so excited to see where in the world this Canadian innovation story is going to go next. Um, And, of course, it's just an example of the great ideas and ability to commercialize new necessary technologies that Canada can be proud of. Uh, More generally, the consensus for the need for urgent climate action has only grown since COP26 in Glasgow, and we've seen some pretty extreme weather events, uh, including the really disastrous floods that affected Pakistan recently. still affecting people in that region. Um, So there's a big role for Canada in this respect to lead, the transition, the transformation taking place, not only in energy, but all other sectors, including agriculture. Uh, Of course, I'm really pleased to see that Canadian resource leaders uh, have been included um, in delegations, uh, both from federal and provincial governments uh, to to COP27. Uh, There are some commentators who, you know, aren't so keen on pragmatic collaboration across ideological boundaries, and uh, they're kind of perturbed by this. Um, But I'm really glad to see the federal government is taking seriously its obligation to work collaboratively across the economy. And I'm hopeful that we're going to hear more in the coming weeks about how our economic engines are part of the solutions that we all need.
0: Lastly, I heard that ResourceWorks is putting on an event on November 29th. Tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, we're uh, looking at new energy opportunities. And, you know, like I said, they're a big part of what Canada can offer. Uh, we're having a lunch, November 29th, uh, with three leaders at the forefront of this transformation. Uh, Mark Cameron, representing the Pathways Alliance, uh, Oil Sands, uh, United in the path to net zero and decarbonization in energy production. Super exciting. Uh, Amy Barber from General Fusion, um, a Canadian-based company that's is uh, pioneering a new way of harnessing energy. Uh, Super, super exciting. And uh, Matthew Sippenstein from the Canadian Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association. Uh, He also heads Hydrogen BC. And uh, they're going to be telling us about the trends and the themes um, across different sectors, across different technologies that are enabling Canada to become a global leader. Uh, Newly re-elected Vancouver City Councilor Lisa Dominato is going to moderate the conversation. And I encourage everyone here who's listening to find tickets to the event um, they're about $75 by uh, heading to my Twitter or that of ResourceWorks. And we hope we'll be able to see everyone. It's going to be a really fun time, and we hope uh, one of many, many lunches to come.
0: Sounds great, Margareta. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care.
1: Thanks for All the best.